But why are we actually talking about church? Because don't I just have a personal relationship with Jesus, so isn't it really all about us? Well, I actually hope, I have this kind of hope and dream and vision that actually you're going to hang around in churches for a while, for a really long time actually, if you ask, because it's a great place to learn about God. I don't think there's a better place to learn about God or about Jesus. We learn from each other, we learn from the the teaching that goes on, we learn through all kinds of places. And I think it's a good idea for us to actually understand what drives us within churches and what's in our DNA. So as we look at Christ-centred, it's no accident to note that this is the first, if we go to our lilac flyer in the values, the first value we talk about is Christ. And it says, Christ is our cornerstone, the foundation our faith is built on. We desire to follow his example as we seek to live as children of God. So just remember, when we talk about values, this is actually saying what we want to be held accountable to. The kind of things we want to display in our behaviours. A few weeks ago when I spoke, we actually reflected on Christ our cornerstone. Um, as part of that, the cornerstone being a reference point in a building. And particularly, probably the key message was measure twice, cut once. If you remember that, that carpenters use, measure twice, cut once. And really what that was talking about was saying, look to Jesus before you make your key decisions. Before you do the cut, (laughs) before you do the cut, look to Jesus. What does Jesus say? How would Jesus operate in that space? So being Christ-centred is actually saying Jesus is going to be the reference point. So what does that look like um, and in our church? I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But today I actually want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And it says this, And I, when I came to you, did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men or women, but in the power of God. Actually, you can use the word messenger in that space as well. So, so here, Paul's saying, if we go back to verse 2, if we can just slide back to there, Nick, to verse 2, Paul, in the midst of writing, in the midst of his life, was saying, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think there's a real message for us here in our church in these times, particularly around this. Because in our times today, there's a couple of things going on. One is we're in a period of change in this congregation, our church. But perhaps more broadly, um, we're in a time of COVID here. And in these times of COVID, there's lots of people thinking lots and lots of different things. And particularly even in churches, how we should respond to that in churches, to the COVID situation and all the things that that entails. And there's a lot of scope or potential for people to hold quite different views and actually hold them quite strongly. 
that's just the flavour of this month. It's always like this. If it's, you know, a few years ago, it would have been a different issue. There always seems to be scope for people to hold different positions on different things. And yet Paul, when he spoke, he said, I resolved to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. So I think it's really important for us in times like this, but always, to major, what I say, major on the majors. When it comes to faith, let's major on the majors. Let's not major on the minors. Let's say, what's core to our faith? For us at this church, we talked about these things on here are the core things. These are the things we're not really going to debate. We've had the debate around these. These are core. These are central. Um, And these things, I say it's great to be solid at the core. Firm, we know what's going on there. You know, this we stand by. But it's really good to be fuzzy at the edges where people can hold different views and opinions. Solid at the core, fuzzy at the edges, I think is a great principle to apply in our Christian walk. And this way we can be inclusive of people because we're not dogmatic about things that really don't matter. There are a few things that really do matter that are of eternal consequence. We'll be strong on those. We'll be very firm around saying this is where we stand but we'll be able to welcome people who hold different opinions than us around the outside, around the edges of those. And I think one of the key things for us is actually to be really gracious to those people as we meet together. I'm going to preach a really different sermon on 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in a few weeks' time. It'll be difference in focus and in presentation. Um, it's been five years in the making It'll be a different sermon than you've probably had for a while. I'm really looking forward to that one. So just keep that one sort of in the back of your brain. But as a church, you know, we aim to be Christ-centred. It's no fluke, it's no accident that the first statement in our mission statement, our vision statement is Jesus glorified. Jesus glorified is the first words in our, our vision statement. Lives transformed, hope revealed, but Jesus glorified is first. It's our effort to put Jesus at the forefront of our thinking. I hope you can see Christ as the centre of our life here in this church. I hope you can see it in the teaching that occurs here. I hope you can see it in the worship that we do. I hope that you can see it in the decisions about how we actually operate around here. I hope you can see it in our relationships. And I also hope that if we actually don't live up to that value, that you call it out. Because that's part of being the body of Christ too, is that we call each other out. We have said as a leadership in this church, we want to be held accountable to these things, to these values. So call it out. It's the way we operate um, in this church, is it's a church of the people We are Christ's body together. The second value we're going to look at is biblically based. And this this reads, we believe the Bible is the infallible word of God. It equips, guides and corrects us in every aspect of our lives. The central text for this value or this part of our DNA is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, which says, But as for you... Continue or remain in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing that from whom you learned it, 
and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, all Scripture, everything we put in in our book, the Bible, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So it actually says, this passage actually says that what we have in the Bible is useful to us. It's useful to us in life. It's actually good for us. Sometimes I think we can hear something like 1,800 commands in the Bible and think, that sounds horrendous. You mean I have to follow all of those rules? But I like something Nick said about that, that these are not so much as rules as reactions to what Jesus has done for us. And if we actually think that God knows what is best for us and loves us, these are great things we do in response to what he has done, not because it's just there to bind us. It just sounds like, you know, if I think of 1,800 rules, I just start feeling squashed. But you know what? Many of those commands are actually about living positively. You know, there's what you might say, there's defensive commands about stopping you from doing the wrong things. There's also commands about how to live fully and joyfully with God. So don't get put off by the number. But in this passage it says, so it's profitable. And it says firstly that the Bible, what we read there, is profitable for teaching. This is verse 16. Maybe we can just drop drop back to that, Nick, if you would. It's profitable for teaching. It's useful to instruct us how to get to know God better or Jesus better. Secondly, it's it's for uh, for reproof or rebuke. It's actually exposing the things that we do wrong, exposing the things that actually aren't helpful in our life, exposing those things where we, we actually cause pain for others. That the Bible is useful to help point out those things. That that Scripture is useful or profitable for correction. So not only does the Bible point out those things where we've done wrong or could do better, but it actually tells us how to do better, how to correct where we've actually done something wrong, how to correct where we've actually hurt somebody. How to do that. And fourthly, that Scripture is useful or profitable for training in righteousness. Now, when I hear training in righteousness, I think that sounds like something that would apply to a saint. And I'm not a saint. (laughs) All right, Debbie, I stand corrected. I am a saint, but I'm a very flawed saint, okay? Um, I'm a very flawed saint. And it sounds like something that probably I'd need to be a monk, and go away and get some training. But it's actually not like that. I think it's actually helpful to go back to verse 15 when you think of training in righteousness, when it talks about, think of it more as something that will make us wise. The Bible will actually make us wise. It will help us make good decisions. It will help us, protect us from making decisions that will actually cause us or others pain because it's not God's way. And it will, and therefore, by doing that, if we make those kind of choices, there's less need for correction or rebuke. 
So it's actually, you know, the best kind of thing to do about pain is to avoid it. (laughs) We don't like pain. It's harder to fix up. And so the Bible is there to help us. So training in righteousness, making us wise. Then in chapter 4, Paul gives these instructions. It's another letter to uh, 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 further on in the same letter to Timothy. He gives these instructions. Chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And I'll just talk to that briefly. In season and out of season doesn't mean summer and winter. Okay? And it doesn't just mean when you feel like it and when you don't. In actual fact, a really good translation of this would actually be in good times and in bad times. Preach the word when things are going well and preach the word when things are not going well. So it's not just preach the word when you looks like you're going to get a great result which sometimes we can think of as a season. Oh, this is a really fruitful season. This is a great season. I'm going to preach the word. Oh, this is a really tough time. I don't think I will. You know, it's not saying in a tough time, don't bother. It's actually saying in good times and in bad times. So teach the word. Be ready uh, ready in season and out of season. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. There's echoes of the passage we read before. With complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Do you hear the echoes of First Corinthians coming through here again? Focus on Jesus, preach the word, be about the things of God's kingdom. Don't follow teachers that go down rabbit holes and stay there. Itching ears. You know, there's a real problem with the internet. It works way too well. The internet works incredibly well. But one of the things the internet does is it drives us, through the algorithms they have, to things that we already agree with. (laughs) So... We are way more, and like studies everywhere will show you that we are way more likely to click on things that we agree with than things that we don't. And so what we actually end up doing is just feeding ourselves with things that, that we agree with and becoming firmer and stronger in those positions rather than allowing ourselves to be challenged by others. We typically listen to podcasts and sermons of people that we like who say the things that we like to hear. And so I just encouragement to you is you know just be careful you not going down rabbit holes and just hearing the things that you want to hear that you look a little more broadly sometimes i deliberately buy a broadsheet newspaper that new broadsheet is ones that are this wide <laughs> the australian is, is one of those that are this wide and the reason i do it is because it actually drives me to read articles that i would never click on on the internet because it's on the page I'll just look at it and I can absorb something in you know, even 10 seconds and get the gist of that article. And then, But quite often I'll read that more fully, but I would never click on that headline on the internet. So it's just one of those things that I do to help me read a little more broadly. But for us, I think it's also one of the reasons why we should come to church. And it's also one of the reasons about how we set up what we do here. Because in coming to church on Sunday, you might hear something that's not your favourite subject. 
We might be doing something that might challenge you in a different way, that might ask you to think differently, that might go to an area that is difficult. And recently we've been talking about 1 Corinthians just in the, in the last series and we're going to go back there again in a few weeks. And in 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, there's some hard things, there's some things that are not easy to talk about. And it'd be really easy just to skip to the bit that said God's loving and wonderful and just talk about that all the time. You know what? That's absolutely true. But there's other things that, that are great and helpful for us to teach us how to live, live well and live with each other and to deal with problems that do occur in real life. And that's what 1 Corinthians does. But one of the, it's why when we actually speak that we do work our way through books of the Bible as well as having topical theory. So there's a, there's a balance we take between trying to address where are we at right now and what do we need to talk about and how do we work our way through the Bible so we get all of the truth that's in there. If you're at um, a Baptist church, you're probably going to hear a lot about the Bible. It's probably one of the things that we're really strong about. Sometimes people say about the Baptist church that we believe in the Father, the Son and the Holy Scriptures. Uh, That's the Trinity. But I assure you, it actually is the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Um, But, um, you know, so it is a strength here and sometimes perhaps even almost too strong. If we take out the Holy Spirit, we certainly don't want to do that. But we do think about this, about being biblically based as we prepare sermons and sermon series, when we consider who will speak to us. It's a requirement of our leaders that we expect them to actually be driven by the Bible and use that as the guiding light to making decisions. We use the Bible to, um, for the purpose to guide our disciplinary processes when they need to happen. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes that has to happen. Matthew 18 is typically one of the passages we go to, but others as well. And we're very accountable to how we go about that. It guides us when we select pastors, as we're in the process of doing right now. Board members, elders, ministry leaders and others. But I wanted to say, what does biblically based look like or what should it look like in our midst? And I want to read Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, because I think it's meant to look like this. Don't say we always cut it this way. But Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the hearts, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The, spirit, uh, the, the word of God is living and active. Alive and active. You know, something I think is terrible is when we take something that's as alive and active as God's Word and turn it into something boring. When that happens, something's wrong. Something's actually wrong. Sometimes that might be us. (laughs) That might be us. Sometimes it might be you. You know, it's where you're at that you're not engaging with what's going on. Sometimes we have to own up to the fact that we actually take something that's really exciting and we turn it into something that's really long, slow, tedious, and just hard work. And you know what? I don't think that's really the intention or God's intention for how he wants his word used. We're not going to be perfect um, around that. You know, there's going to be times when we learn and grow and, and all of those things. But hopefully, you know, we can be a place where the word of God is alive and active and actually doing things. So I've talked a bit about how these values play out in our our, um, church. 
It's probably worth you knowing that actually as a leadership, once a week we gather here, the staff, to read the word, to worship and to pray together. It's a way of keeping ourselves grounded. It's a way of keeping ourselves accountable. It's a way of keeping ourselves focused on the word of God and on Jesus. One thing I would say though is that being Christ-centered and biblically based isn't, doesn't just happen. And it doesn't just happen because the leaders do it. It's something that all of us need to bring to a church. It's not going to happen here if it's not happening outside of here in people's personal lives. What do these values look like in our lives? Well, as a means of transition from the church, you actually just want to point to this, this thing here. This is a 19th century Bible. So 19th century means that's from the 1800s, just so you kind of get the idea. One of the really interesting things about this Bible is at the front of it, it says it's a practical family devotional Bible. <laughs> I think that compared to what you call practical today is um, fairly different. But I, so I reckon we question that, but you know what? I reckon whoever pulled this out, it says practical family devotional Bible. I reckon whoever pulled that out for family devotions would probably have people's attention. It's like you couldn't quite ignore that. But yeah, um, so they'd, they'd catch that. But really, you know, this is central to a family life in that time. That shows how central it was to their life. It's, when this comes out, we're all paying attention very important it's quite incredible you're welcome to come and have a look at that afterwards if you like but changing focus just where does Jesus fit in your life and in my life does Jesus fit in the middle are Christ-centered biblically based or does Jesus fit in the gaps or is he off on the side somewhere is he out of the picture because you know there's work there's family there's sport there's television, there's social media, there's all kinds of things. I love the story. There's a story around big rocks. You might have heard this story. I'm going to shift this back. But there's a um, university professor, a philosophy professor, who walks into his class and he's got a jar. It's got a few rocks in it. And he actually says to the class, is that jar full? And they all think, Pretty full, doubt you get any more big rocks in there. And then he actually takes that and gets some smaller rocks and shakes it inside, rattles it a bit, the smaller rocks fill in. Takes a look, everyone has a bit of a laugh and said, okay, we've been had. Is it full now? Yeah, it's full now. Then he takes some sand and he pours it in and shakes it a bit and says, is it full now? And they all laugh and they said, yes, you've got it twice, and, um, but we're not going to get had again. And so they say, no, because you could still put water in there, which could actually happen. But um, then he actually goes on to say, what's the, what's the parable? What's, the, what's this story about? And the big rocks are the things that are most important in life. So what's most important in life? Firstly, our relationship with God. And how we serve him. We might put the biggest things in our rock, our new, in life, our nuclear family, those very closest to us. Those very closest to us. We might put our health in there, something that would absolutely change our life if it were to be taken away. They're probably the biggest rocks. Mental and physical, I would put in that category. 
as well, our health. Probably the biggest rocks. And you know what? The, the middle-sized rocks, the pebbles, are the things that are still important, but not as important as those. It might be things like house, car, job, extended family, creating memories or experiences. Very important, good to do, not as important as the big rocks. And the sand's actually everything else. It says the jar is like your life. That if you actually put the sand in first, there's no room for the medium-sized rocks. And if you actually put sand or the pebbles in before you put the big rocks in, there's still no room for the big rocks. And something has to give. And are you, do you really want the big things in life to give? So put the big rocks in your jar first. Put the big rocks what does that look like in life? And I want to tell you a few stories and a couple of things from my own life, what that's looked like over the journey. I don't want to say this in a proud way, uh, but I do want to give some practical examples, how it's worked for me, and things I think I can say with some integrity, and if you need proof of that, you can talk to Cathy afterwards. Um, probably Sana as well, she might know a thing or two. But over the journey, when it comes to big rocks, I've found it really helpful to say, okay, I've had to make sacrifices at different times. I've sacrificed sporting ambitions because I wanted to prioritise my relationship with God. I've sacrificed success in my career because it was actually more important to me to be serving, to have energy available to serve in God's church than to put it into the workplace. It's not to say I didn't put energy in there. I'm just saying that there were times when I had to say enough that cannot overwhelm um, this. And horror of horrors, there's been times when I've actually sacrificed time with my family, very important to me, because as a collective unit, we know that serving God is the most important thing. It's the biggest rock of all. And because I could just value that, and then the rock of God just gets smaller and smaller. But collectively we agree this is how our family works. So we've just got to take time to, to put those in. And I will say, of course, that there have been times when I haven't done that as well. There have been times when I haven't prioritised God. There have been times when I have prioritised other things. And in those times typically afterwards, I've had to say, you know, God, I am sorry. I prioritise things that just don't matter over you. The one that really gets me a lot is actually at work, where I'd care so much about what other people thought of me, and I think half the time, I don't even care what these people, you know, like, I don't actually care that much for my supervisors. They're not, sometimes not my kind of people even. But some, for some reason, I'd care really deeply, it would really bother me if they didn't think well of me. And I'm sitting there thinking, I so much want to impress these people who I don't even like versus a God who I'm supposed to love dearly. And that was a real conflict in, um, for me. But anyway, what's going to wrap this up? Well, First John, John chapter 1 rather, we talk about, talked about Jesus and said that actually brought biblically based and Christ centred together that Jesus is the word. And it told us about Jesus, but now I want to talk about what we do with it. And there's another great passage that brings these concepts together. And it's Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. 
And Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says, Let the word of God, sorry, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing each other with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. What does the word of God dwelling richly, the word of Christ dwelling richly, look like in your life? For me, I'll tell you this is what it's like. It's actually taking the things of the word of God and letting them sink deeply. Sometimes we read broadly, read a lot, but it's actually taking some parts of it and meditating on those and letting them really sink in. It's a little bit like sometimes this sounds bad, okay? Um, But sometimes I think it's really helpful to me to run my life with slogans. But they're godly slogans. So things like, you know, sometimes just mulling over one scripture will actually last me a few months. It will feed me more, that one scripture will feed me more than 10 chapters or 20 chapters of the Bible. So I'll give you a few examples. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. I reckon that lasted me about six months. Just thinking about that. What does that look like? How does that apply here? Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. You alone are the Lord. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. That concept about just joining in when, with heaven lasted me probably six months. I think about it still. The teacher is here and he's calling for you. That happened just a few months ago and I've just been thinking about it a lot. They just soak in. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I've thought about that a lot. That's lasted several years. It's a great message in there. Some things to live my life by. So what does the word of Christ dwelling richly look like to you? Well, I'm going to give you an opportunity to learn, okay? I'm going to give an opportunity for the Word of Christ to dwell in you richly. You might wonder what that Band-Aid is doing on your chair. You might also wonder about my new artwork. A bit of ink, okay? You might be wondering about that. What's that about? Well, we're going to learn this verse tonight. So, let's have this slide. Can we put this slide up here? This is Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Why have we got C3? We're going to memorize this, okay? If I said Colossians chapter 3, you'd forget it by tomorrow. I could just about guarantee it. But C3, it rhymes. Colossians 3 doesn't rhyme. C3 rhymes, okay? 3.16. Has anyone ever heard 3.16 before? John. John. Really? Not 1st John? 1st John. No, no. John 3.16 is what everybody knows. But all I want to say is 1st John 3.16 is really good too. Okay, go and have a look at it one day. Um, just, just for a little bit of variety, okay? You know how we want to look at the whole Bible? Look at First John. But yeah, John 3.16, so everybody knows that. So we've got C3, and you've got 3.16. So I reckon that's not too bad. You should be able to remember that. But I want you to grab the Band-Aid, because not everybody would be happy to get artwork like I have artwork on their hand. I want you to get up and put your Band-Aid on your hand, okay? And when you're ready, I want you to write this... And then I want you to leave that band-aid on for as long as you care to, okay? To help you remember this that we are going to learn, okay? Because I want the word of God, Christ, to dwell in you richly. So C316, put the band-aid on, slap it on, 
Now, we are actually going to learn this together. So, this, this goes in two parts, ladies and gentlemen. The first part is C316. So, when, when, when I actually point to this group, we're going to divide into two groups. To keep it simple, the group is this side and this side, okay? So, not that big an IQ test for most of you. You should be able to work out where you're sitting. Group one, group two, this side, that side. Part one is C316, okay? Part two is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And how we're going to do this is I'm just going to point to sectors and we have to rotate through. I might point to the same sector twice in a row, okay? So keep concentrating, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. So part one, C316. Part two, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We're going to do this for a little while and then we're going to switch off the screen, aren't we, Nick? Very good. Okay. So when I point, you've got to say the, one, the, next the next one in the sequence, okay? There's only two parts of the sequence and it's on a loop, okay? You'd be surprised how confusing this was to the morning congregation. <laughs> I hope you do better, <laughs> okay? <laughs> it was quite amusing, actually. Um, okay, so when I point, next, the, first, the next segment in this continuous loop, Just kidding. <laughs> Just faking. Can we have that off now, Nick? All together. C316. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So look, I hope you can take that away. I hope that's one of the takeaways today, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Because it's one of the things we do around here. We want the word of Christ to dwell deeply in our lives, for our lives to be impacted by what it has to say to us. And I hope you can remember the big rocks too, to be putting time and space into the big rocks. What's in your life? What's in your DNA? And can or will you bring it here to join us and help us in our church? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you're here with us. We thank you that you, have, you are a great example. We thank you that you've left your word with us that we might learn about you. We thank you that you've promised us abundant life, eternal life. That's a great thing. Thank you for the joy that we have in worshipping you. We thank you for being a good God, a loving God. We thank you for speaking the truth to us too. And we pray that you'd help us to speak the truth in love to each other, that we would actually love each other well and be honest with each another, uh, enough with each other to be real. We pray that you'd focus us on you most of all, that we wouldn't get distracted, that we would not get divided that we'd be solid at the core and fuzzy at the edges, that we would be a place that would welcome all people, 
we be a place where people can look at those people and say, what you see is what you get. That we're real. But we pray most of all that we would point to you, that our lives would reflect your life. We pray for those that are still working that out. And we pray that those of us who perhaps have been on the journey a little longer will be able to help those who are still working it out. We pray for those who are at the edges. And we pray that you'll help us to be Jesus to them. We pray for those of us who've been around the place for a long time that we wouldn't get too up ourselves or self-righteous, but that we'd be really, truly humble before you and before each other. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app. 